I feel like I've been waiting my whole life to watch Rocky at church and listen to the Eye of the Tiger. How about you? (laughs) Hey, I want to welcome you back to our series, Training Manual. This week, we're talking about the fight for character and a cause. This idea that we need to fight for ourselves and for something we believe in. And you probably guessed that this week's theme is boxing. And so we have a very special guest with us, a guy who is a boxing trainer, but not just any boxing trainer. He has trained champions like Rich Franklin, who's a hometown boy right here from Cincinnati. Uh, Guys like Dave Bautista, who you may know best from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Uh, And our trainer is here with us today because since he's trained Rich and he's trained Dave Bautista, clearly he needs to add one more world-class fighter. So let's welcome Rob Radford to our stage. Great to have you here, man. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. (laughs) So by the end of today, I will be better than Rich Franklin. Did I get that? You'll be better. All right. (laughs) Maybe just kidding. So so tell me now. So boxing, what what, what are you going to teach me today? We're going to work on the jab and the right hand, the old one-two. Everybody's probably heard of that, the old one-two. Okay, so the one-two punch is really a thing. It's not Mm -hmm. just a a saying. Yes. All right. Okay. Let's do it. Put the gloves up here. Get your hands in there. Usually, we would be wrapped. The hands would be wrapped, but here on stage, we're not going to do that. We like to live dangerously. We like to live dangerously. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're right-handed, and I know that. So much like if I was a pitcher and you were a batter, uh-huh. how would you stand at the plate towards me? Left foot forward, correct. Okay. So we're going to start out here with the left jab. Stance is proper. Nice width. Right foot to the outside. You're going to push from the back foot. Step forward. These two, the left hand and left foot, are going to land at the same time. Okay. You're going to hit this like it's hot. We're going to snap that. Exhale on the punch. All right. Ready? Left jab. <coughs> Good. Again. Let's get two of those, two left jabs. Very nice. And we're going to go straight right hand here, number okay. two, and this is why we keep that right foot outside. We're going to turn that hip and heel and sit our weight down into our legs. Okay. Right hand again, hit that leg, it's hot, and exhale. Again. One more. So that's the straight right hand. Now we're going to most easily set this up by setting it up with the jab. It's kind of like me holding my hand here, coming down with the right hand. One, two, exhale. Yes. Nice. Again. One more time. Good. Now, what if punches come at us? How do we make a guy miss? How do we make somebody miss? It's very common. We pull our head straight back. It's not very safe. It leaves you heavy on the back foot and out there to be hit. The most natural thing, what we want to learn to do is come into the opponent. So I throw a left hook. You come in and roll back out underneath. In. Nice. And we would come up and fire that right hand. So let's try a one-two. He's going to slip and come back up and throw a straight right hand. One, I two. will try. Try it. <laughs> yes. Good job. All right. We'll do one more time of that. Ready? One, two. Yes. 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 Very nice. Good. That's good. it. And that's the old one, right. too. I like it, man. I mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. How about you pull that off for yeah. me? Yeah. So Rob and I did a little practice with this the other day. And, and man, I was surprised because I have never boxed in my life before meeting you like a week ago. I was surprised... And I think this speaks to your level as a trainer, too, but how quickly you could get me a sense of footwork, of balance, of you know, what, it, what it took to stay on my feet as I'm throwing a punch, and yet I could also feel that I am a novice, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, I know just enough to, to like feel when I'm doing it wrong. Um, so tell me, like, for you as a boxer, but also as a trainer... What is that training like? Like, what does it take to really get good at this style of fighting? Well, for the average person who's doing fitness, you can, at at any level, you can do that. For somebody who's trying to actually be a competitive boxer, it takes a whole lot of discipline and a whole lot of repetition. Two of the things you can't teach somebody are enthusiasm and desire. And those are Mm. two things that a fighter has to have. 
I mean, that has to be natural. Yeah, enthusiasm and desire. I like mm-hmm. that because, I mean, and it, it the makes ability sense, to right? overcome fear. Yeah. Right. Okay, so let's talk about that. <laughs> so you said so enthusiasm, desire, and the ability to overcome fear. Mm-hmm. Now I can tell you, not having box, but other things I've tried to accomplish in my life, that is absolutely true. Like if I want that thing, if I'm if I have drive for that, that pushes me. But fear holds me back, and you yeah. just mentioned that. Sure so. Especially, I mean, I can't imagine actually getting in a ring with a guy and instead of just blocking my punches, he's trying to hit me. Yeah. So tell me about fear in boxing. How do well, you get over that? Fear is a, well, so if you've got a, a tiger chasing you, that's real fear, right? That's something you should be afraid of. That's going to leave a mark. That's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> but me fearing something like anything, fear is mentally made. And it comes, I think, from over-attachment to the, to the human ego and not enough attachment to the spirit. If I'm more attached to the spirit than I am the human ego, I have far less fear. When I'm attached to all the worldly things about me through my ego, I'm going to be very fearful. So to learn and teach somebody to separate from that, and uh, it's, it's, it, it's tricky, but once they get it, they can, you know, they usually push through that stuff. And fear makes yeah. you stronger. Once you push through something you've been afraid of, it, it elevates you. I'm scared to death standing up here, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was I, say the, you. One of the biggest reasons I did this is because of that, because I was fearful, and I like to push through things that scare me. So. so that's why you got into boxing. That's exactly why I got into boxing. Okay. Exactly why. So what was it in your life that you felt like, like you were afraid of? I mean, what, how, how does that mentality, because it's, it's one thing for me to say, I can get in the ring, and boxing feels confident, but I, I step back out of the, of the ring or out of your class, I got to go back and face real life. Yeah. And there's different kind of fears. Yeah. You know? There are, there are all kinds of fears. And I, I mean, I had a lot of fear in my life growing up. And it mm. took me down paths and bad, bad paths and got me into a lot of trouble. And I was very attached to, uh, to my ego. I was very attached to my, to my um, human self as opposed to mm. you know, my spirit self. And so um, to learn to detach from that human ego and attach more to the spirit self is one thing that I've really worked on. And it's, it's, it's smoothed out my fears quite a bit. It's yeah. what's given me the ability to even do something like this today. But fighting taught me that. Fighting taught me how to, yeah. to push through things. Yeah, I know. As we were uh, talking backstage this morning, uh, one of the things that you said was, it's the difference between, and I identify with this, it's the difference between who I'm afraid I might be and who God says I am. Right? Mm-hmm. The identity that, that God says all those things you're worried about yourself, that's not really who you are. Let, let me show you who you are, Rob. Exactly let me show you right. who you can really that's be. Exactly and right. you, you told me over lunch last week how, how that was like, just like training for boxing, that's like a daily thing, you know, mm-hmm. to wake up and say, I want to follow what God is saying about me, not what I'm afraid of about me. That's right. So as you've taken that, you know, you've, you've switched from being a fighter to being a trainer. So tell me a little bit about why do you want to train others? What is it that you're trying to, to give them that you feel like you found? Simple. It's a terrible thing to, work, to live in fear. Mm. I know it firsthand, and everybody else here does. I'm not the only one. You're not the only one. Everybody yeah. feels it. Everybody does. And it's a horrible thing to feel, right? And it's a great thing to overcome it. And, and it's false. I talked about the tiger, but besides that, like, there's real fear, but then there's psychological fear. And psychological fear is what stops us dead in our tracks. Mm. And it's false. It's not real. Yeah. It's all mind-made. Yeah. Well, Rob, I appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. Great I'm thankful yep. for, uh, for the words Thank you've given me. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate it, man. Because that's one of the things that as we've been kind of going through the life of David, he knew what that fear was like. And, uh, you know, it's fun when you meet a guy like Rob and he can speak from his own life experience because what we're talking about today has, has been on a calendar for a while. 
And then you say, hey, we need a guy to help us with some boxing. And Rob shows up, and it's like, everything you've learned is exactly what we need to learn today. It's what we need to hold on to, that if we are going to be the kind of men that we think God designed us to be, the kind of fathers, the kind of moms, the kind of parents who can raise a son or a daughter to to know how to fight and what's worth fighting for, right? That they know how to fight for character and a cause. And David, whose life we've been studying in this series, he knew what that was like. You know, he had faced the lions. He had faced the bears. You know, Chad shared last week how he'd faced a giant. That's a real thing. That's something that he had to stand up against. And, and where does he get that from? You know, we, we saw these clips from Rocky. And I was laughing because I never really cared about boxing. I never really liked boxing. No offense, Rob. <laughs> and I didn't really want to watch the Rocky movies because of that until one day somebody convinced me to and I was like, I love this movie. And now it's one of my favorites and it's one that my wife and I can watch together like on repeat, you know, for the rest of our lives. And I realized it's because it was less about the boxing and it was more about the journey. Right? It was about the person. It was about who Rocky was, who he, who he felt like he was that he didn't want to be, who he was becoming that he did want to be, and how he got there. Would he ever become the champion that we felt like he was meant to be? That's how we feel about David when we read his story. Because two weeks ago, we saw how a prophet of God came to David's family, pushed all of his brothers aside, and said, the ruddy one, the little one, from out in the field, he's going to be king. But he's not king yet. In fact, from that moment, this once and future king faced so many fears, so many trials, so many challenges... Where you would think, if God promised me this thing, when's it going to happen? Is it really going to happen? And part of what was happening, I think, is that God was taking David through a journey to prepare him for the king that he would be. That he had many times in his life where he could have let character slide as he was facing not only lions and bears, but the king before him, who you can imagine probably was not thrilled about this little kid taking over his throne. That king actually became David's father-in-law and chased him for years trying to kill him. And David would be sitting in caves and writing these journals and writing songs to the Lord saying, why is this happening? How long will this last? What is going on here? But all through that time, I think that God was training him. Because what we find out is that a champion fights for a cause greater than themselves, even against odds that seem greater than themselves. That's what we love about Rocky, right? He's the underdog. He's the weak becoming strong. And along the journey, you realize this isn't just for Rocky anymore. It's for all of Philadelphia. And and they have a real statue of a fake man in Philadelphia today because of how we all get on board with that fight for something greater than ourselves. But just like it was for Rocky, just like it was for David, it starts by fighting for ourselves. You have to fight daily to become who you are going to be. You've got to fight daily to become who you are going to be. See, this is one of the things about maturity, about growing to be a man, a woman, like God has designed you to be, is to reject passivity. Because the truth is, 20 years from now, one year from now, a month from now, who you will be at that point is being decided right now. 
by the choices that we make, by the things that we do, by the ways we choose to spend our time, spend our thoughts, spend our energy. So who are you becoming? And can you do it on purpose? Instead of letting that thing happen to you, can you hold out something in front of yourself? Well, this is what I long to be. What would it take to get there? What would it look like to fight daily to become who you are going to be? This is one of the things that I love about Ben Franklin, one of the the fathers of this country, a man who is known as a genius, a statesman, a wise man. And he actually figured this out. At age 20, he determined that there were 13 virtues that he wanted to define his life. And then he began to, every single day, set up a pattern of behavior where he would practice like one virtue every week. And he would check in on himself and he would see, how did I do? How is it going? And he once said this, it is a grand mistake to think of being great without goodness. And I pronounce it as certain that there was never a truly great man that was not at the same time truly virtuous. He had this idea that a lot of us want to be the champion. We want to be the hero. We want to fight for the cause. We want to change the world. And he's saying, it's got to be me first. Before I can fight for a great cause, I need to understand what it means to fight for my own character, to become the kind of person that I want to be, that God wants me to be. This was David's secret. Like Ben Franklin, probably even earlier in his life, he determined what his character should look like. And in one of his journals, something that we call Psalm 18, this is what King David wrote in verse 20 about his own character. He said, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Now there's a lot of words going on in there. But essentially what this is saying is, He decided at a young age that if, you know, like Ben Franklin chose those 13 virtues. David said, this is how I want my character to be shaped. This is what I want it to be like. And he chose God's standard. What we have captured here in the pages of the Bible. He said, that's the kind of man I want to be. A man who is honest. A man who is willing to fight for what's right, to fight against what's wrong. A man who is willing to see the weak around him and lift them up and make them stronger. A man of character, a man of integrity. That's what David chose for his life. And you can see here some of the journey that he went on because he uses these phrases like, I have kept, I was, I kept myself. There's a lot in those little phrases. I mean, especially at David's time, they still had a sacrificial system. They they, they had much more that was going on that, that he would have to live by day by day by day. It wasn't every once in a while you just wake up and realize you've become more virtuous, more honest, and more, more sharing, and more generous. It was a daily, a daily thing that he was learning out in that field with the sheep. He learned when he was on the run from his father-in-law, and he would carry with him one day when he was king. In fact, this particular journal that, uh, that he wrote in Psalm 18, scholars think that he may have, he certainly wrote it when he was finally delivered from his father-in-law, when he finally had victory over that challenge in his life but that he spoke it probably again at the end of his life, at the end of his kingship. 
so that it wasn't something that got him to a certain point and then he left it behind, but that these words are true of the entirety of his life as he sought to be a man of character, a, a man the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And yet, we actually know about most of the life of David. And if you've heard his story at all, you know that there are absolutely moments in David's life when he was not a man of integrity. That there were times where his pride got the best of him. And instead of relying on God, he began to count his troops and count his people and say, look at how great I am. That there were times where he let his lust get the best of him. One of the most painfully sad but famous stories of his life is when he actually sent another man into battle to die so that he could steal that man's wife. I thought he said I was blameless. Well, maybe he wrote this before that. Well, then how could he say this again at at the end of his life, at the end of his kingship? Well, that absolutely presents a challenge for us, but I think part of what is important to recognize here is that it takes us back to the foundation that we said in the first week of this series. What it's like to fight for a father. See, because the reason that David could speak this way is because like us, David was not perfect. David made significant mistakes. David faced significant consequences for those mistakes. And yet, he never gave up the fight for character because he was in relationship with God the Father. There are a lot of opponents to our character. Sometimes it's just regret. We feel like we've made too many mistakes already and there's no going back. We can't be forgiven. We can't be healed. We can't move on from this. It's already been too much. Sometimes it is fear. Absolutely. It may be fear of the past. It may be fear of the future. That anxiety that makes us think, this is what I, I want to be. This is what I want to fight for. This is, this is a cause. I, I love to. But who am I to even think that I have a chance? Who, who am I to think that I could lead that way? But David was going to become king. And he needed the character it took, not just to be a political leader, but, the, but as king, he was also like a spiritual leader for the people. In fact, many of these journals became songs that other people would sing as they worshipped the God that David knew as father. And so for him, what became important was that whatever happened in his life, he always came back to that relationship with God. That what mattered most was what God said about him, who God said that he was. In fact, there's a a place in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that, that says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, there's that word, blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now just pause right there. I know there's a lot of kind of heavy spiritual language in this, but just for a moment, what what the author there is saying is that when Jesus comes back, so if... If he really lived here, if he really was God in the flesh, if he really did these miracles, if he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords, if he really died and rose again and promised that he will return one day so that those who trust him for their forgiveness will have eternal life, then here's my hope for you. When that day comes, I hope that your whole spirit, soul, and body will be preserved blameless. Now, when I stop right there, maybe you feel this way too when you hear this, I feel like... It is already 
too late. Hey, we can be friends, but I just got to tell you, I am not blameless. I am not here standing on this spot because I'm blameless and that's what lets me teach the rest of you. Absolutely not. I can tell you Pastor Chad is not blameless. Pastor Doug is not blameless. Nobody in this room is blameless. No person you've ever met or ever will meet is blameless before God. You know, I think about what I set up for myself, the, the kind of dad I want to be, the kind of husband I want to be, the kind of man I want to be, and like sometimes I'll have a great morning and I'll write out things like, you know, love my wife today, be tender with the kids today, gentle words to this one and that one, and like I'm told this would be great. And at the end of the day when I'm done shouting them into bed, what happened to like that thing I was going to do? Right? Look, that's just a little example. The point of that is just to show you that I don't live up to my own standard. <laughs> let alone Ben Franklin's standard. Let alone God's standard. And yet I love God's standard. When you see the picture that God paints of how he wants to love us, of how he wants us to love each other, of how he wants all of humanity to treat one another, you say, yeah, yeah, I want that. I want it to be like that. But every one of us has failed somewhere. We are not blameless because we chase after our own lusts. We chase after our own thoughts. We chase after our own pride. We chase after our own anger. We open the door for fear. We make decisions that hurt ourselves and hurt other people because we're responding to that fear, to those desires, instead of to the truth that God wants to give us. None of us is blameless which is why we don't stop there. Because the rest of this verse says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. What that means is, when you trust Christ as your forgiver, when you have that moment, and I've had that moment that I realize I need forgiveness, and the only one who can ultimately forgive me is God himself through the price that Jesus paid. Then he says, now you are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I will preserve you blameless. Though you will still make mistakes, I will teach you. I will grow you. I will strengthen you. You will become more and more like the character that I have set before you if you trust me. See, that's what made David able to say this, not because he was perfect, but because he trusted a God who was. Because he knew that he was not who he felt like he was, he was who God says he was. And every time, he was willing to come back to the fight for character. In fact, he had developed daily training, and we can do this too, to review personal goals. right? To set that thing up in the morning, how, the kind of man I want to be, and then that night... To review it and say, what worked? What didn't? Where did I falter? Why? Right, to take that time to be self-reflective. David does that throughout his journals, throughout these psalms, where he has those moments that says, God, you know my heart even better than I know my heart. Show me what I'm missing. Show me what I still need to learn. That he was willing to receive correction. Then we change behaviors. We create healthy habits. And we celebrate success. 
I love the fact that I can, I can stand here today and talk about ways that God has taught me self-control over anger so that I can celebrate the success of being more gentle with my kids, more tender to my wife, more self-controlled in situations where the temperature is rising. And I can say, actually, God helped me with that. And it was hard work. I mean, it's a fight sometimes. Whatever that is for you, it is a fight. But it's worth fighting for. In fact, back in in the journal, in verse 28, David has this phrase. I love this. He says, For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. I don't know what that darkness is for you. I don't know if it even feels dark at this point. Maybe this morning you're feeling good, but you can remember that moment where you just, you failed as hard as you have ever failed, and you can't believe this has happened again. You wanted to be different, and you don't know what to do with that moment. That's the darkness. You know, for David, he knew what that meant personally. He also knew what that meant circumstantially. That in the things going on around him, he's being chased to be murdered by his father-in-law. He's hiding in caves where it is literally dark. And he knows that he himself has his own failings. But he believes that God can lighten that darkness. See, that's the second thing that we need to be able to fight for a cause greater than ourselves, to be able to fight for this kind of character. We need someone who can help us get stronger, right? When we lay that out in front of us, God doesn't say, be like this, and then check back with us when we die. Sometimes we treat it that way. We say, thank you, God, uh, for giving us the set of rules. I will do my best. Oh my goodness, I am failing terribly at this. Um, Is he really going to ask about all of this someday? No, God wants to walk with us. He wants to become your trainer. And so that way we can find strength for the fight, not for the flight. See, David had circumstances that were worth running away from. David had circumstances that would create that fear. And yet, Rocky doesn't do all that running, chugging raw eggs, so he can run away from Creed once the bell rings, right? Right? He's finding strength for the fight, not for the flight. Though the circumstances might not change, God wants to bring strength into it. You see, we love to be coached. In these movies, Rocky is not on his own. As much as he becomes like the champion for the people, Mick was right there with him, right? Cut me, Mick. You know what I'm talking about? He's got a trainer who knows what it takes to get where he wants to go. So I'll just tell you, If I watched some YouTube videos and then came up here and thought I was giving you a boxing demonstration, that would not, it probably wasn't pretty anyway, but that would not be good, right? I want to go find a man who knows exactly what it's like to box, who knows exactly what it takes to be dedicated, who knows what the footwork needs to be like. And it was incredible to me, Rob, honestly. I didn't even know like footwork was a thing. I didn't know, oh, stand like a batter. Oh, wait a little bit lower. I mean, even the, the first time he showed me kind of the duck move, I did like this. He says, don't take your eyes off me. Why? What happens if I... Oh, right. I will get punched a hundred times in the face before I even know that I'm still here. Right? Because I'm clueless. But I got somebody with me who knows exactly how to do this thing. It is a great workout too, by the way. (laughs) That's what Rocky had. Right? That's, that's what I had for my boxing demo. We love that. We love to be coached. You know, I remember playing basketball like 
the worst coach is the one who thinks you stink and so he just ignores you. The best coach is the one who's like, hey, you've got some work to do, but try it like this. Try it like that. Let's stay after practice. Let's work on it harder. You're that coach who challenges you to get better. It's the same thing in my career. That's one of the things that I love here at Horizon. Um, even back when, like, maybe you don't even remember this. I was a guest speaker before I joined the team here. And Chad was always willing to call me afterwards with tips, with coaching, to help me think through, how do you explain, like, if God's put it on your heart, how do you explain that to somebody else? What does that look like? How do you make that clear? We love that. You know, when someone comes alongside you in your career, in your business, in your area of expertise and says, what goals have you set for yourself? What would it take to get there? What would, what would that look like to work on it today? And how can I help you? And to give of themselves that way. We love that. That is what God wants to do for you. That is the idea that David is carrying here, that God wants to give us strength for the fight, not for the flight. Now, I don't know how you feel about God. I don't know what you think about all, some of the stuff that I've been saying. If, if God feels distant, if God feels like Father, if God feels like he's just an angry judge and you wouldn't even know how to approach him in the first place. But, but here's what I would offer to you this morning. As king, David is one of the most influential people in the history of the entire world. And in fact, from the thousands of years ago when he sat on the throne in Israel, his influence has grown since then. His legacy has gotten bigger and bigger as more and more people pick up his journals to hear from his own hand what it was that he felt like made him most successful as a king. So to me, it's like, before I even decide if I agree with him, if he's got that level of influence in the history of the planet, it might be worth asking, what worked for him? It reminded me of when I was in college. I had an English minor, and so I got this really nice book. You know what this is? This is The Complete Works of Shakespeare. You like Shakespeare? My favorite Shakespeare play, I don't like all of them, but one of them I loved was Julius Caesar. And it wasn't so much for the Shakespeare, but it was because I loved that period in history. And I loved that, that story of Julius Caesar. And I loved the character of, of Brutus and trying to figure out, you know, how do these things happen between friends and putting the state over, you know, just a lot of really fascinating stuff. And probably, uh, probably my favorite line from the whole play, he, he says in there somewhere, Brutus, after Julius Caesar is dead, Brutus says, Oh, that man might know the end of this day's business ere it come. But it sufficeth that the end will come, and then the end is known. Like outside of the Bible, that's one of those quotes that's kind of stuck with me. Because as a person who deals with fear and who's dealt with anxiety, there are many mornings where it's like, I wish I knew how this was going to end up. I wish it was like 24 hours from now and it would just be over. Well, here's the reality. 24 hours from now it will be over. <laughs> so relax, sit tight, and see where this goes. But then I thought to myself, if I enjoy Julius Caesar that much, still this is really just like Shakespeare's interpretation of his life. But this bookmark right here, you know what this is? This is a printed copy of the Gaelic Wars by Julius Caesar. It's actually just the first ten chapters of book one, because if you had this, uh, if you had this all, it would be volumes and volumes how amazing to think 
that in, instead of just kind of what Shakespeare dramatizes sort of happened, you can actually read Julius Caesar's words himself on what it took to set up the empire that he had. Now that is fascinating. That's what we have in the Bible. You know, so often we think of it as just a religious book and I'm not sure how to approach it and I don't know what all this God stuff is, but that's basically what it is. We've got this history about a man named David and he took the time through his life to sit down and write with his own hand what it was that he was experiencing, what it was he was afraid of, what it was that dragged him down, what it was that lifted him up, and what it was that gave him strength. And so later in this journal entry, in verse 29, this, this is one of my favorite parts, probably, probably anywhere in this whole book. David writes, For by you, speaking of God, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. You see, what he's saying here is that when he faces insurmountable odds, when he actually did in his life, not, not just like poetry or like metaphor or like, he has faced insurmountable odds in his life and he says, it is God who arms me with strength. The picture here is to give you the idea that this is actually impossible. When it says that he can run against a troop, that literally means one man against an army. When it says, I can leap over a wall, listen, when you attack a city, you try to climb the wall, and a lot of people die as they shoot arrows or pour hot oil down on you. Forget climbing it. With God's help, I can jump over it. Right? It's impossible, right? It sounds like it. And yet he says, it is God who arms me with strength. See, that's the training that God gives. Not that God sends it out to you and leaves you alone and hopes you figure it out. God says, I am with you. God says, I will go with you. God says, I will be your strength. He says, I know that this fight for character is hard. I know that there are times when the world pulls you in every other direction. When your boss pulls you in every other direction. When your family pulls you in every other direction. And you have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to let your character falter. To be dishonest. To give in to that lust to chase that fear. And God says, this is the kind of character we want to fight for and I will give you the strength. One man with God on his side is stronger than an army without him. In fact, in the next few verses, he continues this kind of picture. He says that God makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. So you enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. Many times when we face a challenge... There's something in us that wants to overcome the challenge. We want to fight. We want to be great. We want to be victorious. 
sometimes we feel like, God, if you are there, please remove this challenge. God, if you are real, I can't do this circumstance anymore. I can't handle this relationship anymore. I can't handle this trial anymore. And we want him to remove it. But what David is speaking here, the character he needed to be able to fight for the cause that he would fight for as king, strength for the fight. Strength in the circumstances. That God uses the circumstances to strengthen our faith so that we have what it takes to get through it. He loves to help you get stronger. Then you realize... There is a cause worth fighting for. As I prepared for this message, I I found this uh, clip from Sylvester Stallone actually talking about the movie Rocky, something that uh, apparently I could have picked up on but didn't. But I I want you to just watch this and the motivation that he gives for Rocky in this film. And if you really go back to the first Rocky, people don't realize it's the first shot is this shot of Christ, and it comes down over the, uh, the beams of the church, it says resurrection, then it goes to Rocky being pummeled. And what I was trying to say is this man has been chosen for a journey. He's at the lowest strata of society, and we're watching him eventually find Christian ideals, that he finds love, he starts to bring people together. All these, what I would call society's outcasts, and they all come together for one unified family uh, spirit, and that's how they triumph. Alone, they're not very, very strong. Together, they're invincible. After he has all this family core values, his wife has died. So now the wool has been, I mean, the rug has been pulled out from under him. He's at his lowest depths. He goes, how, how, can, how can this be? And it was a, it's about pulling yourself up from the doldrums of society and of, of depression and clawing your way back up, finding the light, finding the spirit, moving on. He surrounds himself with old friends, even ex-fighters that read scripture. And then when he goes into the ring, he goes in with a sense of kind of like he's doing God's work. He's, he really is on a mission. You know, there is one thing about speaking the word, but eventually you do need the crusader. Someone who goes out there and, and, and has to defend it and face evil one-on-one. And that's pretty much what Rocky is. And the entire Rocky series has never been about staunch reality like Raging Bull or other boxing films. It's more of a metaphor about life. And then in the end of Rocky, this last one, Rocky Balboa, he basically has come full circle and he just, at the very end, just disappears and and the entire journey is over. It's so interesting because I, I, I never picked up on that. And then once, once he says that and you watch back through it, it's there. You know, that he says, I, I like that idea that, like, he's fighting for God's cause. You know, but for Rocky, that, that's just a movie, right? That's just symbolism. That's just metaphor. But what about for us? You see, this is what David had discovered. He believed that he was fighting for a cause greater than himself. Right? And that it wasn't just when he was pulling himself up from the doldrums. I mean, he was there. He was a shepherd out in the field. He was, he was young. He was stuck. He was being chased. But through his life, even when he was king, when he was a world influencer, he believed that his purpose was greater than himself. That he was fighting for something greater. In fact, in the last verse of this journal that he would have read at the beginning of his kingship and the end, 
This is what it says. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. See, it wasn't just about David. It was about his legacy. The character, the cause that he was fighting for, something that he wanted to last. See, for him, king was not a a position of privilege. King was really a position of service. Because many of the kings in the history of his own country, what they fought for was their own wealth, their own comfort, their own good time. But I heard a story once, uh, just recently, a, a friend told me about a man whose family had experienced generational wealth and discovered that that can get used up by about the third generation. And he was trying to figure out, how do I leave a legacy that won't get used up? And what he discovered was he had to give his kids, his grandkids, a purpose greater than themselves. And so he set something up that each year, all the entire family would come together to determine how we show generosity with some of what has been given to us. I thought that was such an amazing picture to think about what can I leave that won't get used up. You know, around here at at Horizon, we like to think about that too. What does it look like to fight for a cause that's greater than me? To think of others first. And so you'll hear us talk from time to time about serving here, near, and far. It's It's an easy, catchy way to kind of remember those things. But what's behind that is that we believe that there is a cause that's greater than Drew. There's a cause that's, that's greater than Horizon. That we have an opportunity because God has put us in a specific place at a specific time to figure out what does it mean to fight for a cause greater than us? That's greater than me. What would it look like if we said, God, if you really give this kind of strength, we'll believe you for that. Show us what it looks like. And so one of the ways we do that is we invite people to serve right here at Horizon. I know, for example, some of the volunteers I am most thankful for. Do you know there's people that go through this room like every week to make sure that it's cleaned up and there's pencils for you and all that good stuff. Just a completely out of sight thing, but a way that they serve us. You know that there are people, if you don't bring kids to Horizon, there's a whole other world of wonder at the other end of this hallway where there are volunteers every week who spend time with our kids, helping them engage some of these same kinds of questions about life, about God, what it means to know him, to understand him. You know, people who are serving right here. You know, and, and maybe that's something that you do. Hear me say this. Thank you. You serve as well. And maybe that's something you're interested in. We also talk about serving near. Because we are in Cincinnati. There are people around us who are in need. There are people around us who are facing injustice. People around us who are suffering. There are people around us who, maybe it doesn't look like they're suffering on the outside, but we just feel lonely. What does it look like to serve them? One of the ways that I figured I would mention to you is the City Gospel Mission. There's a group from Horizon that goes there uh, several times a month just to be able to serve meals to the guys that are there. I've never done that yet. But I'm planning to next Sunday, June 10th, is the next one. So you can come with me if you want. Because I was down there a couple months ago and just took a tour, and I talked to the president, and this was fascinating to me. I asked him, actually someone else in the group asked him, what do you need most? And as I talked to him and one of the directors of the, of the homeless shelter there, the obvious answer is money, right? He's going to tell us, give money. And he didn't. What he said was, well, I mean, you know, we always need money. We always need volunteers. But what we really need is somebody who will serve the meal and then make their own plate and go around the counter and just sit by these guys and get to know them. Right? That, 
Yeah, they need money to pay for a bed, they need food to eat, but what they really need is somebody who will care about them. Somebody who will love them. Somebody who will come alongside them like God comes alongside us. Somebody who will help them with the goals that they've set. I don't know about you, but for me it was like, oh that, like that's the thing I want to be a part of. Serving here, serving near, or serving far. You know, we do these global serving trips. Uh, one of those is to Belize. And so I'm just going to point this out because I asked Rob, how did you, uh, how'd you get to know Horizon? How'd you get connected here? How'd you know Marcus? How do we get your name? Well, somebody invited Rob to a global serving trip in Belize. <laughs> and so he's taken that same heart that he has for training across the planet to fight for a cause greater than himself. I, I don't know if any of those hit you. If that's like, you know, I've been thinking about it. I'd love to find out more. But that's part of what we believe that we're doing because what happens there is even though the money may run out, even though the meals may run out, even though someday you know, this shelter, that shelter, this person, that person may be gone, we believe that the cause we're fighting for doesn't get used up. That what God is talking about goes for eternity. In fact, you compare that verse, 1850, with what happens in the New Testament just before Jesus is born. That said to David and his descendants forever, and that's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, where we get one of these parts of the Bible that, <clears throat> let's be honest, we usually skip. Jesse begot David the king, David the king begot Solomon, and so on, and so on, and so on, until you get to Mary and Joseph, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Jesus, the strongest warrior. Jesus, the one who faced evil one-on-one -on -one to fight for your character. To give you his cause that doesn't get used up, but it lasts for eternity. That's a legacy that goes beyond this life. Because then we fight for a cause greater than ourselves with God's help. You can fight for a cause greater than yourself with God. God's help. I know there's many times in my life, and I've told you a couple, where I try and I fail, but when I give it to God, he strengthens me. And that's what David was trying to tell us in his journal. He experienced that for himself. He wanted to make sure other people knew about it. I've experienced for that, that for myself. Really, that's why I'm here. Because I want to make sure that other people know about it. I don't know if you've experienced that for yourself or not, but I can tell you whether it's Apollo Creed, Ivan Drago, Mr. T. Whatever the challenges that you face, whatever the odds are that seem insurmountable, whatever that goal is that you don't know if you can reach it on your own, whatever that character is that you know you need to fight for, with God on your side, you can advance against a troop, you can leap over a wall, you can bend a bow of bronze, you can stand on the heights, not with feet built for running away, but for feet built for climbing a mountain so that you never have to back down from anything that God has called you to do when God is on your side. Let me pray for you, and then we'll hear this closing song. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that you strengthen us. Thank you that you fight for us. Thank you, God, that you never back down. That when we follow the plan that you've given for our character, for our life, for our meaning, for our purpose, that you also promise to give us the strength to do it. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, thank you again for being here this week. Go out there, fight for character, fight for a cause, and we'll see you back next week for more training manual. Thanks for coming.